إنك لا تهدي من أحببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Welcome to another episode of the Young Smirks podcast um, Due to the COVID lockdown we've started to do um, some live podcasts live online So today's guest, mashallah, very special guest, Sheikh Omar Weston. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum wassalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Mashallah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Barakallahu feek for inviting me, Akhi. It's, it's an uh, honor. I've been seeing some of your, um, your videos and mashallah, they're very unique, very unique. They have a different perspective. Yeah, I like them, Akhi, they're, they're quite nice. You know, I've been I've been following your dawah for a long time. Um, you know, because you, yours is very unique, actually, because uh, you are, you're actually in Mexico, and you that's right. Yeah, you, you you've done a lot of dawah in in uh, in, in Mexico, so we'd, we'd like to hear more about that. So um, so how's how's the lockdown been, Chef? Well, it's it's been it's been. I mean. Since March of last year, well, it didn't really change, believe it or not. It didn't really modify my life all that much other than going out to restaurants, which was a little bit of a habit. But other than that, my my two younger girls, I was doing homeschooling with them already. Um, and I kind of live in the countryside and, and not much has modified, but obviously... Uh, Islamically, with some of our seminars that we used to organize, that has cut back. But we've managed to do a, actually increase them now on online. So I'm quite, I'm enjoying it. But I have to admit, I mean, right now, like my my daughter, for instance, has COVID, and uh, I mean, it's a serious thing. My elder daughter, who because of work reasons, she works in this environmentalist um, program and. SubhanAllah, may Allah cure them and make it easy for them. I mean, I mean. I, I can understand why you're liking it, Sheikh. I mean, with the palm trees in the back and the nice, beautiful garden, mashallah. You, you look like you're on a desert island or something. Yeah, well, not on a desert island, but actually, we're not that far away from the biggest city in the world, which is Mexico City. Well, it's not the big, I mean, it's probably, you see, the way Mexico City is structured. But it has about a th- 30 million inhabitants. So, hmm. I mean, it's a massive... I say that cities over 3 million are too big. Yeah. It's like ships. I mean, there's certain capacities for ships. You know, if the ship says there's only, it's only... It only has a capacity for 500 people, I think we should respect it. And I think certain urban areas, because Mexico City, one of its biggest problems is running out of water. But don't get me on yeah. that tangent because I mean I can go off on tangents. I'm, I'm warning. Don't worry, Sheikh. Alhamdulillah, we've, we've got all the days. So, Sheikh, before we before we we begin, um, I'd like to know a bit about yourself. Um, I admittedly I don't know that much about yourself. I have been following your work. Um, I think I was I was made aware of your work about seven or eight years ago by Yusifestus, nice. um, and also there's a brother in the UK um, called Ghulam. A friend of mine, he actually mentioned uh, that you was. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think you know Ghulam, but he actually mentioned you was doing dawah in 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 Mexico, and you know, because obviously they knew I, I like to do dawah in Africa. 
So um, that's how I came into contact with your your work. So I'd like to know a bit about yourself. I mean, you, you, on on your name, you've got Mark Omar Weston. So mm. it, it so it seems that you wasn't born into Islam. That's right. Actually, um, well, I have to let you guys know before I go off on tangents here, talking about about my personal life. I have to tell you that. I, my life has kind of been in in phases, and I'm I have my my before Islam life, which wasn't that that long, but it was very unique to a way. I mean, sometimes I think back on on my past life before Islam, and I I see it kind of like a a, a, a fantasy, like if it never really happened. And then yeah. <laughs> then I have like my university years when i first came into islam i, I changed 100 degrees i left everything behind and i started living as a muslim and i had like my first phases in university then i went up to medina and, and then i got into the dawah i have like the dawah phase mm. and for the last 10 years i've kind of been into educating myself islamically mainly on, on different topics and um uh trying to focus more on development, especially economical development, which through my Dawa experiences, it was very difficult, especially after 9-11, I have some bad experiences to get funding. And you, you may have a beautiful project, but funding, it's very hard to come by in post 9-11 environment. And it's complicated. It's very complicated. So I decided to just cut the post the fund raising and looking for money thing completely yeah. and dedicate myself to developing my own economy and, and alhamdulillah it's gone quite well alhamdulillah and so i mean if i talk to you about something that happened 32 years ago roughly yeah. um it doesn't mean that that's me today <laughs> yeah I, I understand subhanallah sometimes people get these ideas yeah, yeah, it's interesting because you, you've been on a, a journey, basically. So, you know, people right. evolve, they adapt. And uh, we, it's quite interesting, uh, some of the, the points you mentioned. I mean, you know, um, we'd like to know how you, how you came into the fold of Islam. But also, you said you traveled to Medina. And, and this this concept also of, 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 of becoming financially independent rather than depending on donations to support the dawah and to support your work, that's, that's a very interesting thing that I think we can we can learn from as well. So where would you like to begin, Sheikh? Well, I can tell you a little bit about my my childhood and so you kind of have an idea of where I'm coming from. Yeah. If it hopefully it could be um, inspiring to some of the people that are converting to Islam or some of the people that are thinking uh, thinking about Islam because one thing I learned is Islam is not an Arab religion it does it's not, it's not linked to a specific nation it's a universal way of life and it's a way of um thinking and it's basically the religion of abraham and yeah. i learned this at a young age basically it's going through different things and i really liked islam and i accepted it and alhamdulillah i was born in the uk with british parents um and my father was a businessman, son of a very important businessman in, in, in the UK, Edward Weston, who was founder of, you know, these photographic booths where you sit down, you have them in the tube stations. 
Yes. It's called PhotoMe International. It's still on the stock market. Sure. My grandfather founded that company and his two sons came to Mexico to start this venture in, in Latin America. And um, it was very a, a very interesting experience for my dad and, and all the family. I mean, we came over. We did. I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I was just a kid that used to eat Weetabix and and um, love my English chocolates and what else, right? <laughs> and I used to watch the Thunderbirds and Doctor Who, and I came out here, there was nothing, right? I mean, but it wasn't as I expected because I used to use, used to see these cowboy things like Wild West and things on TV. Mm. And I was thinking that maybe I was going to see all these people with cowboy hats and what else, but I... I actually moved into this mega metropolis, which was Mexico City. Back in 73, Mexico was a very important economy. It still is. It's still in like the G20. Yeah. But back then it was the sixth economy in the world and it was booming. That's why my dad decided, because actually my dad and, and, and my granddad actually sat down and he, my dad used to tell me this. And they were thinking, OK, we want to open up in different places. We've opened up in Europe. This was it was an international company. Right. And. Like, where can I send my two sons to to venture out on this? And it was like, it was a flip of a coin. Spanel, I was between Indonesia and Mexico. And my dad decided Mexico. Because he had lived in California oh. in, some, in some of his younger days. And and he quite liked, he met some Mexican-Americans. And he quite liked the Mexican culture. And my granddad used to come out here to Acapulco because it was like a new thing then. And they opted for Mexico. And here we are. I mean, this is what brought, brought me to Mexico business, so, which I never got involved in. You know, <laughs> never. So, so, so you was, to do with it. how old was you when you when you traveled to Mexico? I, I got the impression you went when you was an adult. I didn't realize you was you was young. No, I was five. Actually, I, I didn't have oh, a wow. choice in the matter. Mashallah, I was brought um, out here, and I love my fit my codfish fingers, and never got those again. Basically. <laughs> Inshallah, when you come to the UK, I'll show you the real fish and chips, inshallah. Well, I mean, we used to go back in, to England every summer. and Mashallah. But And we used to stock up on these candies and, well, sweets or whatever. Yeah. And um, I used to introduce them to all my buddies in England and in, in Mexico. And many of them, they're like my habits. I mean, I, I, I was on all the, I was on Marmite and all the things you can, all the English stuff, because my dad was hooked on a lot of these things like i still have this um habit of you know the square cake the battenberg cake yeah i love it <laughs> and sure. it's because i learned it from my dad and then all these different english habits and and we grew up with this you know even yeah. today i mean i i'm I, I eat my cheese and biscuits and different things that i learned from my dad <laughs> with these um pickled onions and <laughs> So, so was you? Was no. your family like? Was you from a Christian background, or well, was actually, he, my, just... it's kind of strange. Actually, religion was never put across in my family, but yeah. my mother's side is a little interesting. And this is why it was never, it never came across to me. I mean, it was never imposed on me because there seemed to be a conflict within my mother's side who was a Catholic, her mother was Irish Catholic, very Catholic, Catholic school mm. and what else. Uh, but 
her dad, my granddad, was um, his mother was a Jew, yeah. Esther Cohen, and which we never learned much about her, but she was a Jew. I learned all this when I became a Muslim. And, and then on my father's side, there's an interesting story because my name isn't Weston. It was Fischhausen. We were from a German. My, my, wow. the, my, father's, my grandfather's father was German who changed, changed his name in the war. But there is a rumor out there that it was camouflaging their Jewish origins. Wallahu alam. Mm. And I'm not like one of these guys that wants to show there's like a Jewish thing in me. As Muslims, yeah. it would be quite the contrary, right? <laughs> but this is the reason I grew up in, in an extremely laissez-faire environment. I mean, God was never mentioned to me. That I, I, I seeked God when I was like 11 because I had a serious... I mean, things were so rosy and for the first six years in Mexico, they were fantastic, like holidays all the time, new homes, and, and but my my mother had a car accident she was in mon four months in coma and she was like born again and we actually like became her i say we me, me and my brother we became like her parents mm. um so that kind of changed my life and i kind of started seeking out a relationship with the divine i didn't know much i remember i used to just mm. pray god bless my family relatives and friends that was basically the way i ended up with my my prayers you know but um, that experience really kind of, and I was alone because my dad in those days, he was really affected by my mother's accident and he turned to the booze and I was living with maids and, and chauffeurs and never saw my parents. I was living practically by myself with my brother. We used to get in some serious fights and things and, and we were living, my mother was still in coma and living in our house. She moved into our, our house because she mm. was for months in hospital, but my dad moved her out. And it was crazy living with someone that was, my mother that was, um, had lost her mind basically. And, and then just one day she woke up, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. And, and she was like a baby, like a child, like everything was, give me that thing, that thingy, that thingy and all this. She had like a child um, language and, she yeah. had to relearn everything, you know. She didn't couldn't, couldn't um, walk. We had to help her like relearn how to walk. Um, she had to relearn how to do so many different things, like read and write, and, and uh, so we um, were her teachers. So that was an experience that kind of made me think. Well, I, I know I knew that deep down inside, I was not. I had no power myself. You know? Yeah, this is something I learned as a child. But I didn't know where, 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 and then I ended up in so many different things from there. Yeah, it's quite hilarious, actually. I mean, some of the things I can tell you, people actually crack up in front of me when I start telling them. <laughs> They're a little ludicrous and strange. I mean, I, I've been on everything, on peyote trips, on LSD trips, and, and mushrooms, and, and, and I can tell you some experiences. But Alhamdulillah, I need to warn you, this was back in the Jahiliya days, in my Jahiliya days. And I became Muslim very young. I was, I was, had just turned um, 20. And um, Alhamdulillah, I, my, I had a complete 180 degree turn when I became a Muslim. I mean, I took it very seriously, had a 
I kind of was disowned to a certain point, you know, where my dad didn't want to know. I had to live in one of, I had to hide from my dad. And I, I lived in my dad's offices, which were, it was an offices and factory because we ended up doing the machines here. We used to buy them from the UK, but then Mexico devalued. That's another story. The Mexican. But um, I saw the my image went there. That was probably that's probably my line. Yeah, I think you're back now. I, I, back. I, am I still with you? Yes, you're still with us. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Okay, here on my screen, I, I disappeared for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I was saying um so my how, how... conversion to islam was very it was 180 degree i left everything behind i had all these water ski trophies because i was a, dedicated my life to water skiing at one time just before i became a muslim i was a world-class water skier and i i went to the local uh, dump you know the local um uh, trash uh, uh bins you know and i threw out all my trophies photographs and I used to go to school with Thobe and Imama <laughs> until I went to Medina and I learned that that wasn't like the Sunnah, right? <laughs> I was indoctrinated by Tabliki Jamaat to start with. But it was, it was strange because I used to like reading. So um, I started reading everything. And I read Bukhari from front to, from, from front to end because that's one of the yeah. first books I got a, a hold of. Yeah. Chef, how how do you find Islam in in Mexico City? How how did you come across Islam? Well, actually, it's it's kind of a long story, but um, I was practically a ski bum. I used to just water ski. That's the only thing I did. But I had a period in in my life. Okay, I try and wrap it up as fast as I can because it, it's hard not to link this story with with my conversion, but I used to spend, I, I, okay, I, I did my high school in the US because my dad used to send me as much as possible to water ski clinics because that, that was my passion. So my dad picked up on that. He didn't care much about school and things. So he sent, he said, okay, well just go finish high school and in the US because I was doing my O levels and A levels in the British school in Mexico. I only got one O level, <laughs> which was Spanish, and I got that with a D. <laughs> I was terrible. I was a terrible student. Oh, I was only interested in water skiing. But my dad was very lenient with me, and he set me up in a, the best ski school with the best coach in the world, Jack Travers. And um, I went out there for eight months straight. And... Um, and that's what was my life. And I used to go to high school in the in the mornings and then ski the rest of the day. And I, I, I was a very good skier. I was in the top five in, in the junior division, which was kind of, I was just, when I became a Muslim, I was just kind of like moving out of the junior category. Um, but it wasn't all that um, rosy. I had a period that, my my behavior was very radical. I mean, because since my uh, my mother's incident and my I had an issue with authority, so I was very rebellious. And at this ski school, I did some crazy things. I mean, crazy, crazy things. And um, I was expelled from the ski school, and I I was um, sent to live in in these apartments in in 
near Orlando in a little town called Leesburg, which was, I used to call it Sleesburg. <laughs> it's just a little hick town um, near Orlando, typical American southern town. And um, I, st- I got into, I mean, I had tried stuff here and there, and, but there I kind of met these guys and I started doing drugs. Then um, I finished my high school, which was, I was put into these apartments just so I could finish high school because I was expelled from the ski school and I was kind of black labeled and no other ski school would admit me. And it was bad news, even though I was one of the best skiers in the world of my age and my age group, I was completely black labeled. No one really, I mean, I, I, was, I was shunned by the, by the water skiing community. And um, so I was in this apartment by myself and I hang out with these uh, strange people. American uh, people on, on drugs. I finished, um, and that was, I was, this happened, there was a massive earthquake in Mexico and we lost communication with my parents. And so um, I, I tried to finish as fast as the, the earthquake was in September. It was a massive, Mexico City practically fell down and um, there was no communication. What else? So I think the, the director of the school was lenient with me and kind of allowed me to hurry up because I said I need to go back home. So they, they set me up and I finished high school when I was still like in 16. I mean, they just yeah. fixed everything up for me. I think they really helped me out, gave me my diploma and I was back in Mexico. And when I came to Mexico, I sat down with my dad and I said, listen, I'm not interested in studying anymore. And yes, I fucked up and I was expelled, but I'm still a good skier and you know it. And, just lend me the car and let me go down to the lake house and, and I'm going to ski again. And, and, the, and he let me. I was out there for about seven to eight months. Just He paid for my gas, my food, and I was out there skiing. But then I started hanging out with the wrong guys here in, in, in Mexico. And I became a serious... Um, basically, my general rule was not... I, I didn't do anything that wasn't natural. <laughs> Nothing injected. Right. So I was really, I used to smoke about six, seven, eight joints a day. I mean, it was like all the time smoking and skiing, smoking and skiing and trying different things here and there, but mainly it was marijuana. And um, I, I, I had some serious experiences that started making me feel like I needed to have a life change. And one of the one of the things was a, a fight I had with my dad, a literal fist fight. And when the 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 housekeeper actually had to come down with his rifle and put his rifle on my head and tell me to leave my dad because I was I was practically, I mean I was because my dad hit my mom type thing and I had to, you know we uh, I, so I, I beat my dad up basically and I was kind of serious then. And I run away with the car with no keys. That's a lo- another story. I managed to crack the car open. And I went went for my uh, another ski team member who was also a rebellious guy. And then we went for this local drug lord who we used to call, uh, his name was Robert, Roberto. We used to call him Robert. Instead of calling Robert De Niro, we used to call him Robert De Kilo because he, already, he always had a, a kilo stash. <laughs> 
So anyway, I mean, we tied up a surfboard on the, on the roof of the car and we went out for like a two month surf trip. And while, I mean, we were just driving on the beach, basically going up all the way up to California, you know, on the Mexican Pacific coast, mm -hmm. driving on the beach, you know, finding these until we got to like a river or something. And then we found a little road, but we we're just driving literally up the beach. It was it's a fascinating trip. But on the way, I mean, we are having trouble with the army because I was in Mexico and different places. There's army uh, battalions that are just checking checkpoints, you know, to make sure you don't have any drugs and that. And we were always with drugs. So we ended up giving everything we had to these guys. And, and there was a point where my companion, Victor, um, he was getting on my nerves and I got fed up and I took the car and left them on the beach and driving out of this uh, small little fishing town <laughs> I bumped into this um, guy with a Mexican sombrero an old man and I said hey 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 do you know where I can get some some marijuana <laughs> and he said he said like this wait wait a minute so he goes into his little you know hay thatched roof cottage goes in there, comes out with like a, a tin of bos a biscuit tin. And it was the best reefer I had ever seen. I said, wow. And here I am by myself. So I, I said, Let, let's go back to these guys and smoke the, the peace pipe. <laughs> so we kind of forgot about the differences. And, and we said, okay, let, we're enough beaching. You know, that, that enough hanging out on the beach. Let's change environment. So there's a volcano called Nevada de Colima. He said, let's drive out to this Nevada. And there was like a dirt road that was just driving inland towards the volcano. So I said, let's do it. So we started driving down this dirt road. We were in there maybe 50 kilometers deep. And we bumped into this small little town. Um, small, like maybe 200, 300 inhabitants. And we... Victor got out and started asking in this little store, asking um, about how, how the road is ahead and if we can actually make it to the Nevada de Colima, to the volcano. And while he was in the store, I was with Robert De Kilo, and this other guy came out, a guy drunk. This is a typical scene in Mexico, you know, they, because I was like, in those days I was very blonde and surfer looking. And this guy was... Um, completely drunk, right? Guy walking in the street sees me and says, Guerito, Guerito. It's like what they call the white guys here, Guerito. He says, Guerito, on, how are you doing? He says, Chupato mezcal. He was drunk, had a bottle in his hand. He says, here, have some mezcal. I said, I don't drink. I said, believe it or not, I, used to, I didn't drink. <laughs> but I, I said, I don't do that stuff. But if you have a joint, I'll smoke a joint with you. And he says, I'm a policeman. So get out of town, man. You're like wasted. And how can you be a policeman? He said, well, I'm a policeman. So, well, you don't look like one. He says, hey, but you want some some weed? I can sell you some weed. I said, well, how much for? Uh, we already had a big stash with us, right? But I was just like talking with him. And he said, um, uh, he gave me a price for a kilo. And um I said, nah, that's too expensive. And what else? And then Victor got under the car and I just left him talking to himself. And we were like running out of cash and we took advantage of it and we wanted to sell some binoculars we had. 
So we drove down to this football uh, field. And while we were arriving at the football field, we were just about to get out of the car and we heard this noise. And it was this drunk guy with 30 soldiers, you know, like marching, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and this guy in front of them saying, there are the lords, these pinches marihuaneros, ahí están. And they pulled us out of the car and they took it. It ended up that this small town was a, was a, was a, Vigilante cartel, soldier protectorate. <laughs> um, I mean, that's where the main fields were, man. Okay, so I mean, th this um, is a lot. I don't want to get into a tangent there, but that's the way it is. You know, normally yeah. back then, especially, it's like the army was protecting the big drug lords. And this yeah. isn't this. I could get in trouble for saying this, but this is a known fact. So. We get put in this cage. I remember one scene that was as as we were getting like gun pointed into this these headquarters. I saw this old lady, and she was so like shocked, and she was saying, um, "You know how here the Catholics they just like you know they do like this nonsense and the, they call it persinar. They like you know they yeah. in the father and Mosharefe. Then uh, I saw this lady. She did that. She did this crucifix thing and. And she said, oh, my God, poor kids. As, and that, it kind of dawned on me. I said, well, maybe this is some serious stuff. <laughs> so we were put into, the, we were put into this, uh, these car, this cartel thing. And we were all separated. <laughs> Wait, Aki, this is just the beginning of it, man. I was just thinking of something. You know when you said the Christians, they do this? Uh-huh. So my dad used to say it was spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. It's like, where's my wallet? You know, where you know. <laughs> the important thing is the testicles. Yeah, the testicles are the spectacles. <laughs> Make sure you get out of that house with testicles, man, because the way things were and still are sometimes in Mexico, yeah. you need a you need to have a couple of those. Mm -hmm. Um. But more than anything, you need to have Tawakal in a line. Just don't hang out mm. with the wrong people. Because mm. Mexico is honestly a beautiful country. Yeah, I'm sure. But anyhow, once in this cell, they separated us. And they started interrogating us to as where we got the drugs. They didn't know. So there was like a different conflict. And we were, they were giving us our, you know, our slaps and things. And they were just saying things that just to get out of trouble. And they didn't know. So none of our... Um, stories coincided and then they put us in in a square meter cage with a with a footstep so that you can't basically you can't lie down it's very uncomfortable and we had like this little small little window out into the road and um and i remember robert was saying that on the way to colima he was saying that we could go to um, Michoacan because there's there's some towns, there's a town called Nueva Italia, where they're like there's these like native Mexicans but they're all like blonde because they're originally like Italian but they kind of lost their culture and what else but they're like güeros, you know they're white guys and and they, they had, he had a fixation and wanted like a güera, a, a, a right? And he says I'm going to go to this town and get myself a güera <laughs> So I, I I told him, listen man, look out the window and see if you see any where that's going. But 
no luck. Anyway, they left us there in the cage. This was like from midday till till um, about nine o'clock at night. Like, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, no food, not nothing. Lights completely pitch dark by the time the, this happened. They came, this big fat soldier came with his machine gun and you know he, he he put the tip of the machine gun on 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 my my on Victor's nose and said okay ahora sí cabrones uno por uno van a ir mamando one by one is going to like it, it's like you're going to lick the dust <laughs> and he opened the cage and he walked us out and there was already a battalion like a existential uh movie right i mean hands up against this old wall right and we had this squad behind us like you know you know uh, you know firing squad squad, man it was a firing squad oh wow (laughs) we had our hands up we were there for about two hours they were really trying to like uh, scare the heck out of us you know um but we, the you know, reefer, the marijuana can kind of have these effects. So we were kind of like, and that was the thing. We were like so, like out of, in, we weren't so in touch with our feelings. You know that that that's what drugs do. So we were yeah. like acting like if we were cool or something, but in reality, but um, and they and they thought we were like these tough guys or something because they were treating us like serious uh, yeah. criminals. But anyway, I. Um, asked the guy, one of the guys, I said, hey, can I go to the bathroom? It just occurred to me. It was like the first time I spoke, I think. It was like it was the first time I actually said something. I think they thought I was like a gringo, like an American. Because I hadn't spoken other than the little interview there. But I, I didn't even speak then because they came up to me and I just gave them the stash. And the, and the soldier that took my stash, he told me, shut up don't let anyone know that i have that stash you know what i mean mm-hmm. he so he kept that stash because the three of us had a stash with in our bathing suits and our shorts you know um in our andes you know <laughs> mm-hmm. but anyhow i i and they let me go they said okay go and when i came back out of the bathroom which wasn't much of a bathroom by the way but um i came out and these guys were already back in the cage. And um, they were already eating these hard tortillas, you know, these. And I, I was sure it was a squirrel. But um, the other two guys thought it was a rat. Um, I didn't dig into that. I mean, I had issues eating in Mexico anyway. You know, I wanted my weed effects and things. <laughs> I could, but they actually gave us like this thing with a tail on it. And I don't know if it was a rodent or what it was, but they gave us that. And we were there. It got cold at night. Then in the morning when dawn came and then natural light came in, they started talking to us and talking about football and different things. And said, listen, you're going to have to wait here until the commander comes, the main chief. And he's going to decide what to do with it. So um, we waited a few hours and then they interrogate us one by one as to where we got this stuff. And we came up with the right story now. 
And um, they said, okay, we're just going to give you eight boards, you know, eight slashes with a board, ten slashes with a board. Literally, they said, we're going to give you each one. Eight. And, and with my camera, they used my camera to take pictures and they, of us. We had one, two, and three. <laughs> but they said, okay, you can go. After they heard all the thing. And, then, and Victor was like very well, well related then with the, his father was partner. His father was uh, was partner. One of his major partners was the was married to the president's sister. Actually, taught the president's um, uh, nephews to water ski. And I mean, he had relations. So that's the way it worked in Mexico. So because of him, we bailed. But. They said, okay, we're going to give you these boardings, and, and, um, but they never did. Uh, they were just scaring us. They never did give us these um, tablasos or the board smacking or whatever. <laughs> they took us a picture and said, okay, you can go. But there was one issue. Since I, that back then, that car, which was an, uh, the company was American car company. It was, it's a pacer. It was a, like one of these bubble cars, strange car. And if if you took the keys out when the ignition was on, you could just pull them out. So what I did when I stole the car from my dad, I, I like broke the 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 lock, and I could pull the keys out, and, and 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 that's how I went without the keys. So we were driving around the Mexican Pacific without any keys. But these guys, since they drove the car back to the to the cartel, to the to the headquarters. Not to the cartel, but just about to the headquarters. They um, they they gave us um, uh, they they said okay you can go, but we didn't have the keys. And then there was like, why don't you have keys for the car? What's up with that? So then there was another story, and Victor went out to town to look for a, a locksmith. So me and Robert stayed. We were put back in the cage while he went looking for a locksmith and he took forever and we were thinking because he was talking about finding a way to escape from the cage and run he said there was some railway tracks that he had seen driving in there and he was just going to run on those railway tracks and he was known to do that type of thing i mean that i can go on and tangent on that but he was known to run when everything when when and, and we, we were we've had we had experience experiences around different travels and things and he actually, if we were in trouble, he would run and just leave us with the packet. So he went out for, for the locksmith and he was taking forever. And we were wondering, maybe the guy just hit the tracks. And he was like very well in, in shape and, and he could have, could have done it. But um, he did come back and we, and we left. And from there, um, John, that, that really hit me. And I said, listen, I'm going to stop doing drugs and I'm going to try and make myself better. And it didn't really work for too long because about a week after that, um, I went back to, my, to the lake house. And the only, my only possession really I had was this big jukebox. I had a big uh, stereo thing. And I used to love uh, rock and roll and music, the Who, Pink Floyd, the whole works, right? So I used to just sit back, smoke a J, and listen to the, to the lyrics, man. They were my prophets of the past, man. I mean, honestly, I, uh. 
that's where I mean, if I used to say proverbs and I used to quote lyrics to like Mexicans and say, listen, John Lennon says this and and and, and Roger Waters says this and you know, <laughs> like different messages here and there. I was like a little wacko because I didn't do a, a lot of schooling, you know, I just kind of learned from the as life goes. But anyway, I went back and my only possession was gone. My dad had taken it and he, he's and so I had to go and, and I said, where's my thing? And, and, you know, the carekeeper there, he said, listen, your dad took it and he wants you to go and meet him. My dad lived in a, in a place in the mountains. My parents were divorced and my dad was with the woman like every other week and doing his own thing. But occasionally he like really wanted to sit down and talk to me. So that was like his way of getting me to go there and speak to him. And so I went to his house and said, now what's going on? And I said, listen. Oh, and he took me out to the garden and started kicking my, my, um, my feet, you know, just really bad kicks, you know, and, and the shins. So he used to play a lot of football, he did. And he says, listen, and you know the typical English guy, you piece of water, you know. <laughs> Never will you hit me again, you know, basic, the basic message, you know, the, you're not going to get away with that again. But listen, you need to get on your feet. Well, what's with your life? You know, you need to, and it kind of coincided with, with um, what I was feeling, actually. And I said, yeah, well, I want to get straightened out. And he said, mm. listen, you're, because my brother was, we were just like one year different, but my brother was in university in, in Florida doing really well. And he was like the, the, very educated, the guy to follow. Today, he's a schizophrenic, and I have to take care of him, but that's another story. But he was like the guy in college, the guy to follow, and what else? And and I was like the ski bum, but I was a good skier. And my dad um, tells me, listen, we need to do something with you. Why don't we go down to this new area that the Mexican government was going to develop called Huatulco, which is beautiful. I wish I could have had my stuff together then. Um, and he said, well, we're going to find a little property, do a little like a uh, small hotel or something, and you can get yourself going because I don't think you're going to do much with your life water skiing. And he was worried about the drugs and what else. And he already had something on mind, which I couldn't uh, start talking about because it, may, it would make it really long. But anyway, on, on this drive down to this new beach, um, we were getting pulled over all the time by these um uh, these soldiers because you have like checkpoints in some parts of mexico have checkpoints back then especially so i mean my dad wasn't an issue right but i used to have my my capaliacate, you know like a, a a little scarf that i used to tie around my long hair and i looked like like um jimmy hendrix type thing <laughs> i had my, my long hair and my and my, my yeah. paliacate i had my army pants and and um, and I was going, my dad was like, the first time they stopped us, they actually opened the motor hood, which is like, they're really looking for something. And my dad's like hitting me across, you know, like fucking idiot, you know, <laughs> he's like really upset with me. He's like, we're in this ship because of you, man, you know? And then, and my dad's telling these people, I laughed that time, I actually had to laugh. And my dad, these soldiers are telling him things like, where's the stash? And my dad's saying, we don't, I'm, I don't do that shit, you know? 
And he says, this is really bad. And his Spanish wasn't all that good. He's saying, this is really bad for turismo, malo pal turismo, bad for tourism, right? And the soldiers, once they, he takes off my dad, he was fuming. Yeah? He was a neurotic man, but he was fuming. He took off. And the soldiers shouted out, next time, Wanka, come back on a plane. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fly back on a plane, you know, like he did so much pitching. They just told him, come back on a plane. Right? So I laughed. I said, listen, dad. You need to chill out a little bit, you know. <laughs> I mean, these people are serious. I didn't I couldn't tell them about what had just happened, right? But I said, man, take it easy with these guys, man. These are serious guys, man. I mean, they could put you in a fucking cage. I didn't tell him, but I was trying to, you know, tell him, like, listen, these guys aren't playing around, man. Take it easy with these guys. But he was always like on the defensive and but anyway, we went down to this place and um I had my stash on me, you see. I didn't really reform. So that was the whole point of saying that. I mean, it, it lasted for a week. And by the time I was already going, going down to Huatulco, I already had my stash in my pocket. And, and, and um, when, I was, when we were in Huatulco, my dad met up, found a guy that we knew from a long time ago that used to sell outboard engines. And um, <laughs> he, he went out to have some beers with him and I went out with them. And this guy could see, and I knew him from a long time back, but we're a different age group, but I knew him from skiing days from, uh, and I've met him recently again, but this guy saw me and said, why don't you, don't you have any, anything you smoke? And my dad was there and said, yeah. And I pulled out my stash, you know, and, and my dad actually smoked, right? But he got so stupid, you know, he started like, and he got out ups. Even he was neurotic, even on pot. You know, he was like saying this fucking stuff. How can you smoke this shit? <laughs> he was like feeling bad, you know, and about his feelings, and he 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 had a bad trip. We say. So, Sheikh, was it a lot of these? I had uh, similar experiences, you know, before, just before accepting Islam, you know, getting into trouble, you know, getting, you know, just these kind of realizations in life. You know, you start to think, subhanAllah, that I, I can't carry on like this. If I carry on, I'm going to be in prison, I'm going to be dead. Who knows what else? You know, so it seems like you also had that kind of these yeah. kind of ex a lot of these experiences. So you so you would you say you were searching for something? Was you I knew there was something up there, you know. I knew that it didn't make sense. And then I started philosophizing about different things. And then I mm. my dad sent me back to Florida. He said, Okay. Yeah. Why don't you go to college like your brother did? So he actually set me up and I, I went to the university and they said, listen, you need to, um, since you only have your high school diploma and they wanted me to take math and, and a prerequisite to go get into the university was taking a summer course yeah. in English and math. And I said, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I went off with Victor to a ski school, started skiing and then I got invited to a tournament in the, the KP um, uh, World Cup in, in England. So mm. I went representing Latin America because, as I said, I was always that's kind of saved me because I was always a very good water skier. So I got invited on the Latin American team and went out there. And um, my dad happened to be out there too afterwards. I said, What the heck are you doing here? I mean, I thought we were gonna, you're going to go to college. So, well, listen, you know, that doesn't really work for me. And I'd rather water ski. and. So after that tournament, I like, you know, uh, went around Europe and things with my buddies. And then I came back to 
Florida and I, and I skied for about six months, but I went downhill from there, got put in jail and uh, I did some crazy things, ended up in psychiatric ward in, in Orlando, Florida. And then I was four months in rehab in Mexico. My dad pulled me out of that psychiatric ward and put me in rehab in Mexico. I came out of that. I was rock bottom. Some crazy experiences in those uh, rehab things, man. Crazy stuff. Crazy mm -hmm. people. I mean, I went from like a very nice, trendy, you know, Henry Ford type thing, you know, <laughs> um, to uh, I was thrown out of that for for getting in a fight and uh, I was sent to like the Mexican psychiatric hospital and that was whoa some crazy and, and they started putting me on meds and I was I was getting drugs I was smuggling drugs into the psychiatric hospital and um, don't ask me I don't remember how I managed to do that but I, I they gave me these meds you know um, for the Haldol back then it was Haldol and this these psychiatric meds are terrible. Mm -hmm. So I, it was like my first day on these meds and I smoked a J, and I, I started hallucinating these effects of the the meds. And I, so I went to the doctor on on the on the ward and I said, "Listen, I feel like I feel terrible. I smoke marijuana." And he started interrogating me as to where you get the marijuana. <laughs> So I went and locked myself in my room and, and un, with clothes and everything, I just put myself under a cold shower, trying to get out of that horrible sense. And I broke down. I remember I went into church that day because they had a little capilla, they call it like a small church with all the, you know, Catholic stuff, right? But yeah. I just broke down on my knees and I said, God, help me. God, help me. Get me out of this mess. And... Um, like a week after that, I said, Dad, get me out of this place, man. This joint, I mean, I'm not crazy, man. I mean, get me out of here. So he helped me, he sent me back to the other place. <clears throat> then I was like really rock bottom. I started hanging out with my friends again, like the whole crowd and got on drugs again. But something great happened to me. I, I um, this was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My friend Victor, he said, listen, Mark, I went to California and I met this guy john jack horton a great guy and great guy and his wife gretchen they have a they did these private lakes and and and, and they're really nice guys and and, and they said you can they, i told them about you and the, your water skiing and they said you can come out and ski here and, and they gave me a job so i went out there and it happens to be that gretchen the wife of the owner was very religious very christian born again type thing so she started giving me books and sending me priests and things, you know, like these local pastors. And, and they started giving me Christian Dao. But I remember very well that I one of my first questions out is in this religious experience was, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? And then they got onto that trip. And while all of that was happening, me being in psychiatric hospitals and what else, my brother was like the educated guy of the family doing finance and he was going to like he had some high ambitions he wasn't wasn't too well either and he started he he he, he, he had done the same drugs i had done and he 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 started searching religion too and he started reading the bible from cover to cover and um he he wanted to buy a quran from my dad he wanted mm. to buy a bible from my dad sorry and next to the bible there was a quran and he said well let me refute these guys see what these guys are about and he started reading the Quran and said, Subhanallah, he said, this is, this is it. 
And mm. um, so I was in Florida. He back, I was, um, I was in California. He was in Florida. We met up in, in Christmas in my dad's house. He already had a beard. Um, he looked like a Jew, I told him. And he said, no, I'm, I'm a Muslim now. He, I, he actually, he, I, before that, when I was still in California, my mom calls me up and says, you know where Gregory is? That's my brother. He said, no idea. He says, well, he's not in university anymore. I, I, he, he's gone. No one can find him. And um, no one knew where he was until basically in Christmas, until my grandfather told me told us all that he was in England with him. My grandfather used to live on Jersey, in Jersey, on the Channel Islands. My father's the businessman. And um, so my, my, my brother Gregory went out to meet Cat Stevens because we used to listen to his music, right? So when my brother became was learning about Islam and became a Muslim, he says, are there any white people in, in Islam? Because back then, in Florida, there was, I mean, it was completely different back in the late 80s. But um, anyhow, that's the way it, it went. So we met up in Christmas. He gave me Dawah. He gave me two books. He gave me Jesus, a prophet of Islam. And he gave me um, Morris Bukel, Quran, Bible and science. So I took back that to, with, to Florida. I was already off drugs, skiing well. But I was a Christian, and um, in Florida, after after um, after that, I, I I started praying as a Muslim, and then I just said, I'm, I'm stopping. I'm going to go to Orlando, um, to the mosque, and I became a Muslim. And then I went to this Tabliki Jamaat Ijtima, went 40 days, you know, with the Jamaat, and stopped yeah. skiing and left my girlfriend and and just changed my life. Came back to Mexico in a thob and my imama. And went to university because I remember I did shura with my with the Muslims. Yeah. And I said, what do you think I should do with my life, you know? <laughs> and they said, well, go to university. And, and um, I said, well, I tried that. And they thought, okay, so what should I study? And it came to me that I should study psychology. So I did a BA in psychology. But I was, then I, <clears throat> I started a master's. But then I got this um, scholarship to go to Medina. It was like a, an unexpected thing. So alhamdulillah, I got the chance to go to Medina. So, so all, this, all this story was all up until the age of like 20 years old, subhanAllah. He had a very busy life. Yeah, I went to Medina, I was like, I was 22, 3, I think. Yeah, subhanAllah. So, so that, that, that time of, you know, you became a Muslim, subhanAllah, now you, you applied for Medina, you got into Medina University. What What... What time was this? This was the 80s, in the 80s, right? That, that was actually, I, I got accepted. It was the end of 1990. Just, no, okay. 1991. It was just while um, Iraq, Baghdad was getting bombed, Desert Storm. Yeah. So like 1990. And my mom was saying, are you sure you want to go out there? You know? Yeah. <laughs> we were watching CNN. You know, those clips were like... And yeah. I was like just a week from getting on the plane and my mom was saying, and my mom normally didn't care about, you know, but it's like, Mark, are you sure you want to go out to that place? <laughs> you know, I said, well, it's a little distant. It's not like quite in Baghdad. No. Yeah. It's like there, so, there sure. are, so, so was this the first time uh, going to Arabia, going to, going yeah. to Arabia? And how was it that, that first impressions of you landing? Well, I in, cried in, yeah. as soon as I got to Jeddah because I had already lived Islam for about four years, my college days. 
by myself practically you know and and in mexico that's another story there was no nothing in mexico practically nothing mm. um i mean the i had to form a community myself practically from scratch but when i went out there when i was in jeddah airport it was time for Salat, and I heard the Adhan in the airport, I cried, man. I said, SubhanAllah, this is amazing. You know, because, mm. I, I mean, I was, I, I got into Islam full-heartedly, you know, I mean, Alhamdulillah, yeah. since I took my shahada, Alhamdulillah, I didn't leave any Salat, and I was serious in the deen. And as sure. I said, I was dressed in thobe, and, and people used to laugh at me, and I, I used to, because there was these cartoons called Kaliman, you know, these Mexicans, they don't read much, but they had these things called Kaliman. It's like comics. And there was a guy with a, a white thobe and an imama, right? And and they used to see me in the street and shout, Kaliman! Kaliman! <laughs> or Ali Baba! <laughs> you know, they used to shout at this Ali Baba yeah. stuff. And, and I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. SubhanAllah. Another so Jew, cool. I remember, I was in a Jewish uh, street. And they, this Jew like looks out of his window and he says, Hey, did you break your head? <laughs> he thought it was like a bandage, you know? Oh, uh, he was like so just cool. mocking me, but that was like the attitude, you know. I was kind of like yeah. getting the back end of being a Muslim. Yeah. So, so how long? How long did you stay in Medina? How long did you study in Medina? I was for? there. I, I was just before I went to Medina. I got engaged. There was this girl in university that who's now my wife. Um, so I gave her dawah, and I said, "Listen, I can't be like." Playing around with like girlfriend boy thing, boyfriend thing, and alhamdulillah she was very she was a good girl she was uh, educated and, and uh, a virgin which is strange in those environments but she was a good girl and I said um, I'm gonna go to Medina I just got accepted it was like uh, it was immediate you know it was strange it was like I, I hadn't prepared for this so I said but I got this ticket to go to Saudi Arabia I said do you want to come. And she was like, okay, let's go. I said, well, we have to get married and go. So we were like engaged. And then I left. And I, while I was there, I was trying to get my wife out there. And it was practically, and back in those days, it was very difficult. And since we weren't like officially married and things, and it just didn't happen to me. So I hang out there for, for two years. I, my goal was to learn Arabic and bring some books back and, and, and learn uh, about the dean, I used to spend a lot of time going out to the to to the scholars. You know, I I try to meet Sheikh Uthaymeen. I was trying to do different uh, different things, like out of the typical university environment. And then it, my master's was in educational psychology, and I wasn't too impressed with the methodology of of, of Medina as far as the educational system was. I, I mean, I would much rather go study with the sheikh you know that's what i wanted to do like but it's, it wasn't it was very easy it was very difficult to do that yeah. and it still is yeah so, so i came back so to to mexico and started on dawa and then I, and dedicated about 10 years of my life full-heartedly in dawa started working in the saudi embassy we opened up because they're going to do a big mosque in mexico that's a long story so i worked in the saudi embassy Islamic Affairs. I actually opened an Islamic Affairs department in the Saudi Embassy. And that's it's a strange for you know a strange thing. But then 9/11 came, right? And that was yeah. 
that was a big issue that really hit me hard because a lot of things happened and a lot of people I knew and what else it was complicated and then mm -hmm. I then I had CIA issues you know all these guys yeah. knocking on my door and yeah of course I mean, it was I had, a, a difficult I mean, time there was, yeah, it was it was very sad I think that was one of the yeah. worst fitness I had actually I was in the states I used to go to the states every month or so and I was detained, put in in um, detention center as like a terrorist, man. and um, in this horrible cell, treated like. And then I was deported back to Mexico. And yeah. um, since then, I kind of well, it's been like five years since they, alhamdulillah, they stopped calling me now. But I used to be very, very open, like after 9/11, the 13th of September. Like a mm. few days, two days after I was getting interviewed by CNN, Spanish. Yeah. And um, I said, literally, I said it would be a huge mistake for the U.S. to, I, I said it would be, an, it wouldn't be a Christian thing to take revenge on the poorest country of the world, Afghanistan. And no one had spoken about that yet. But I was kind of mm. like, I knew that that's where it was heading. So I said yeah. this, and, and I was getting interviews left, right, and center from everyone because I was the director of the Islamic Center in Mexico. Yeah representative of the Saudi stuff, right? And so everyone was calling me and, and I was going a little radical there. So I had eventually the Americans called me up and said, listen, I saw you in the news article that the, that we will never defeat the Taliban. Um, and I wasn't like, like supporting the Taliban. I was just saying that it just won't work. I mean, why would they think it's going to work? And it didn't work. I mean, I'm sure yeah. they remember me, but I just simply said, listen, just sending in troops there, it's not going to work, and it's not going to work. But they called me up and said, um, I remember the first encounter with the Americans was, they came, we had a three-building um, Islamic center, a three-story. We had like a cafeteria in the first, second floor was like Dawa center, and then we had the mosque on top. And, then, and we had this cafeteria. So I used to receive people in the cafeteria first, and so this American guy came. He was a nice guy. We actually went golfing with him later. But he said, listen, uh, Mark, I think one of the... If you think this this thing was, like, done by us to, you know, if it was, like, a self-perpetrated thing... And I hadn't really said that. He says, you, this is not right. I mean, this, this is... So he was, like, on the defensive that trying to get me out of that thinking. But I, I never said that was... I just said that... It's a little odd. Evidence is a little strange. And I was like saying, just speaking my mind, right? And as I'm doing now. <laughs> so I said, listen, um, uh, Stuart, his name was. Listen, Stuart, why don't you come give a lecture to the Muslims? So I organized this big event. And I told, um, uh, what's the main news agency worldwide? One of the people, Reuters, Reuters. Yeah, I used sure. to get these um, faxes all the time because they used to call me because my number was in the yellow pages, right? Islamic mm. Center, and that was my personal home. So, I mean, I, it would ring, ring, ring all the time. But I used to, they invited me for, car, even in Big Brother, like that type of, but they called me up and they said, um, oh, well, anyway, Reuters called me up and I, I said, fax me. So they used to fax me and they said, listen, we want to interview with you and blah, blah, blah. I said, listen, we have the Americans coming over to our Islamic center and they're going to give yeah. like a whole 
talk as to why this is not a war against Islam. Because that's yeah. what Stuart came in with that argument. I said, well, come and talk to us. I said, hey, maybe you can convince me. Why don't you try convincing the whole community? So I said, come on, tafaddal, you know, welcome. Talk. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we had Greenpeace guys there. They were asking them questions yeah. about Granada and all these. So yeah. after the meeting, um, and I was actually trying to defend Americans a little bit there because they were like, a lot of the guys were quite radical against Americans as asking them so many different things. I said, listen, in reality, America's not the superpower. It all depends on Allah. Allah is a superpower. Power, and um, um, they're not to blame about everything that happens in the world, you know, I'm trying to defend them yeah. a little bit. But after this event, I mean, within this event, they, they went with a, another guy that was just like looking in the background and making notes. And I saw, I knew that he was who he was. So he, he went up to different people in the conference. He went to the, up to this guy that we had sent to study in Egypt, Mustafa. He's a character, Mexican guy that used to be on drugs too, in one of these local gangs. And Alhamdulillah, he reformed himself, became a good Muslim. We sent him to Egypt, but he didn't hack Asar and ended up on the beaches. And he's a story, man. But anyway, they came up to Mustafa and they said, hey, I've heard there's like terrorists in your organization. And, and instead of like denying it and saying, no, nothing to do, he said, well, I don't know. And if I knew, I wouldn't tell you, you know. Hmm. And then they then they go out to this other guy, Muhammad Abdullah, who's now the director of the Marcas. He went like extremely Salafi on me and kind of did jarh on me. And, and he set up the Salafi Center of Mexico. We still talk, but he's still on that Madhali trip. Um, he, they came up to him and they said, hey, um, is there anybody here that likes Americans, right? After the conference. <laughs> mm. And he said, um, I don't know, but they didn't come today. <laughs> so, I mean, that was, um, so they, they're mm. saying like, I'm the leader here, like radicalizing all these guys. Because mm. we used to watch videos of different things. And yeah. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I was... Allah. Learning so, so about did, Islam and picking up the books in the it, libraries, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Did 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 9-11 actually stop any of your dawah in, in, in Mexico? Did it affect it? Completely overnight, overnight. Yeah. I um I had a there's this brother called Abdurrahman Al Amudi, hmm. who you probably know. It was Abdurrahman Al Amudi was in Washington. He was like in that Virginia circle. And um, he had come down to Mexico. He's a good guy. Also, Abdullah bin Laden. Not Osama. Abdullah bin Laden he used to work in the UN and was the director of WAMI for North America. So he came down to Mexico. Actually, went, went out with, I took him around Mexico a little bit. And um, he was officially acceptable because, I mean, I actually took him to dinner with the Saudi ambassador. You know, it was a different environment. Right? That's why I have to clarify that. These are phases, right? And things. But anyway, he was like, we knew about his uncle and things, but it was like uh, not a big issue. Hmm. But this was uh, about a few months or maybe a year before 9-11. So we had these guys. And Alamudi had, um, I met him in Libya. So I, I, that's another thing. I mean, I, was, I wasn't like ever married to Saudi. I mean, I... 
I used to, if I got invited to a congress in Turkey, I used to go if I went to, so I got invited by Qaddafi, if you, and I met the people, Qaddafi's guys, and, and, and I went to three or four events of these guys. But in uh, this meeting with, in, with Qaddafi, I, 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 I saw Al-Amudi, and um, I told him about something I was doing, a small project, and he, from his account to my account, he sent me $5,000. And that was enough to trigger because when he he had trouble, was put in jail, you know, and the whole story. And um, they they froze. My, I had a, an account in New York, and they and they froze my account. They didn't freeze it. The the guy, the auditing department of my bank, it was a private bank, Bank Audi. Through them, Bessie, I contacted, and they didn't have a lot of money there, but they they said, um, "Listen, we've been." People have been asking questions about you. We don't want you to have an account with us anymore. So I went to the teller machine and started pulling all the money out. <laughs> yeah, and and um, yeah, then things started getting and it kind of combined. Then I went to um, things just started getting harder and harder. Yeah. I used to still travel went, to the U.S. until I was yeah. detained. Yeah. So how about how about now? How is the Dawa in Mexico now? Yeah. What are you What are you active in at the moment? Well, Aki, now I I study Aki. That's basically I'm kind of on a revisionist phase. You know, I've I've really got into the classics, try and get a hold of any classical Islamic book, especially on the Athari side. You know, and um, mm. I try and analyze a lot of the concepts. If I hear someone like speaking about the the seven conditions of jihad it's like okay well who came up with this you know mm. honestly when i see yasser qadi i understand mm. him i understand him mm. I, I can see his revisionist but i think he's he's overburnt the cake a little bit i mean he's gone <laughs> a little too far but i think we pushed him there honestly a lot especially these madkhalis guys they started and the, these mm. other wackos you know isis guys um so I mean, I, I think that, I mean, if we want to get into theory and stuff, I mean, and Dao mm. and, and what I'm mm. studying, I mean, that would take a while, but I honestly think we should mm. be focusing on, on learning about our major differences with what is, what, what's our position, you know? Mm. That's what I criticize about Yasser today. I mean, he says, I have sympathy to the Athari creed. Yeah, but why haven't you ever given a, a nice speech? I mean, you say, he says he loves Ibn Taymiyyah. Why doesn't he give a lecture on? Uh, I mean, he's given some academic things about Ibn Taymiyyah, but what Ibn Taymiyyah's positions are of Asma'ullahi wa Sifatihi. Why doesn't he get mm. into? I mean, he says, like, the Kalam, one of his latest ones, he says, the people of the Kalam, and he does criticize them in, this, in a historical sense, like, which mm. is something I've delved into a lot too. But I mean, okay, yes, there's this historical thing, and they. It's known that they've taken out of Greek philosophy and what else, but the concepts, actually, the concepts. I mean, what? I mean, why don't you tell us about Kitab al-Tawheed and, 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 and mm. not Abdul Wahab's Kitab al-Tawheed, but Sahih Bukhari's Kitab al-Tawheed? Why don't we go through these hadith and see how we should deal with them, you know, yeah. according to you? Mm. And, and this is where I think we as Muslims mm. have to define ourselves. Um, I mean, we need, I don't care about the mainstream anymore because yeah. they're going to have to get re-educated. I mean, the Democrats talk about putting a chip into the some Trump supporters 
Actually, I honestly think uh, there's a lot of uh, Muslims that need to get the chip of Iman. But Iman yeah. has conditions, Ahi. Iman, there's, yeah. there's, yes. there, there's, it has a core which it's founded on. And if we need to go back to that core, mm. and I know, generally speaking, we have this agnostic view, like, oh, I don't want to get into this. Yeah, but mm. we have to get into it. We have to know mm. where we stand. You know, I mean, especially like... Yeah. The Ghazali, Ibn Taymiyyah issues. I mean, we need to know where we stand because I hear so many yeah. brothers, even I'm not going to mention names, but they say, Oh, Ghazali, this and Ibn Taymiyyah, this. But where do you stand, Aki? Because yeah. they're in many cases, they're opposing ideas. Yeah. 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 Know, in many you know, things, you know, so many things. I was actually, I, I mentioned this um, before, um, but I don't, I don't really want to go into it too much here, but. I understand where you're going, you know, because a lot of people are quoting certain scholars from the past and they don't know uh, the, the repercussions of that and, and, and the whole belief of that particular scholar, you know, and, and, and the lay people kind of take that reference from you. If they hear Umar Weston quote a certain scholar, then that becomes a reference from you. So they go to the bookshop and start buying them books. You know, which is, which is promoted by a particular group of people, a particular a particular akida, to particular political school of thought, everything. You know, and it has huge implications. So, we as Muslims in, in the West, we have to educate ourselves. There's no way forward. I mean, yeah. the only way is to hit the classicals to see where how all this developed, where it's coming from. Yeah. And I honestly, I mean, he who seeks will find. You know, if you. I mean, I, for, as, as, as far as the Kalam debate, for me, it's clear, clear, clear as can be that the position of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jamaat, of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, and some of the earlier scholars, is, is clear cut. You know, there's no way, there's no way to justify where the Kalam went, but things that be built upon Kalam, you know, uh, yeah. and some of the severe Kalam, I mean, like the Shias, I mean, I was amazed to learn. I mean, they they're like dalala upon dalala, you know. I mean, there's <laughs> one thing upon another, you know, dalala ala dalala. I mean, there's like yeah. one. I mean, they're like Mutazli and Creed, and they have all these, especially yeah. the Ethnotashari. Yeah. But I think we have to focus on this. Is why I, I we talked the other day, and I think this guy. I don't want to like promote him because I don't know where where he really stands. But what is the topics he's dealing with? Some other topics that I've been dealing for ages now and, and for years is the Enlightenment thinking. I mean, because as the Kalam really affected the 8th, 7th, even 7th, 8th century and on, the Muslims then, Enlightenment is really affecting us today and we're not dealing with it. We're not even talking about it. I mean, we're taking things like I, I just the, the director of the Salafi Center. I mean, just lately we had this discussion because he said he's a lawyer. And he says, you're bound to the Constitution. I said, no, Ahi, I'm not. I mean, I hate mm. to say this, but I'm not. Mm. I said, I didn't, I didn't sign that social contract. Now, this is, some, this is just food for thought. But honestly, Ahi, I said, the way to go forward, it's not like I don't recognize as a government, but the way forward for us is to do um, agreements. You know, this is Surat Al-Ma'idah, you who believe, you know, firm, do agreements, you know, Hudaybiyah. We have to make an effort, even if we're just three Muslims in a country, we have to like say, let the government know, listen, we're here, we're, 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 we accept your, your leadership, but please 
let us know where we stand and what we can do and have a discussion. Not the typical, uh, because I've been through that too, this like um, interfaith nonsense. That, mm. that, that's baloney. I've been through that, the, the Mexican side of it. It's baloney. And they, I remember the first interfaith meeting I had with this Jew. He said, um, I said, well, what do you talk about? He says, everything except religion and politics. And he's laughing. Ha, ha, ha. I said, well, I don't want to go. And I never joined I mean, <laughs> I, why would I want to go? Huh? I mean, those are my topics, man. I mean, I like yeah. talking about these yeah. things because Islam yeah. is, has siyasa. You know, I mean, we've abandoned Sharia. This is why I think Daniel, I don't know what he's on, but I think instead of just ignoring him, I think people should like put, try and pay more attention to what he's saying because he's on something. I mean, he has a way to express it. I mean, basically, I listen to him, and I, I, I mean, this is what I've been on for a long time too. But enlightenment ideas, and I mean, I was a in in that regards, I was a Trump supporter. And when they took the Capitol, I was happy, man. I thought, and I still don't believe all they say. You know, I mean, they made these guys to mm. be like terrorists and things, and mm. I just saw them these guys dressed crazy, and they they when they took the the they they actually did a they did a Christian prayer. They don't even know how to pray. Well, most Christians don't, right? But they were praying. Mm. I mean, and I'm definitely not liberal, you know, in that regards. Mm. I mean, look at liberalism yeah. today. It's crazy. So yeah. I think we do have to focus I mean, on the classics. Know, you have a lot. Of, yeah. Yeah. It's, finally, it's very, very interesting, you know, just to see, because obviously it's an entirely different perspective living in Mexico, uh, living in, in on that side of the, the pond, as you say, than what yeah. we're facing in Europe. It is very, very different, you know. know. And, um, and uh you know, it's interesting to see how different Muslims cope. But, but and, that's and, the result and, you know, of um, of so many years of just being silent. I mean, mm. what's happening in France? It's mm. just this. Even the, I mean, the Madhalis today. I mean, they go on and on and on. But they're getting they're between the 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 wall and the sword. You know, today. I mean, what? How can? I mean, there, there has to become a point where you have to say something, you know, you can't just be silent mm. about it. I mean, what they're doing in Libya and what else and supporting certain regimes and pushing certain yeah. agendas. And now they're like in, in kibbutz mm. with, with the, the Emirati agenda, which is, mm. I mean, we have a guy in Mexico, a lot of money handed out by the Emiratis, which mashallah is good. But I'm concerned about certain agendas. This is the thing why. Economical mm. development is the way to go. We need to be independent. We need to make the duads, the people, yeah. independent economically. There's no think, other way um, forward. I think it would be, be good to get you on again sometime. Maybe we can speak about how you've kind of become more financially independent uh, in terms of you know supporting yourself and, and the, the, the work that you're doing over there. But I think that will be an, an, another topic on its own, inshallah. <clears throat> and I actually know a brother that will be very interested to uh, speak to you about this as well. He also has a podcast. Um, so inshallah, maybe I can connect you with him as well. Yeah, well, welcome. Is... I mean, I have, <clears throat> I mean, I have people have already knocked on my door and if they knock on again, I, I've kind of, you know, there's a saying in Spanish, hablando se entiende la gente. By talking, you get to know each other, you know, you can understand yeah. each other. Hablando se entiende la gente. People, educated people can understand by by, by talking, you know, I mean, I have nothing to hide. Sheikh, we're going to have to leave it for today. Um, no it's actually Maghrib here now, so I need to I go and pray. Know. But it's been a pleasure to uh, speak to you and catch up with you. 
and I hope we can uh, uh, join each other again and, and speak again about some of the issues, inshallah. And I'd like to know more Mark next time we, we can go more into your dawah work in, in uh, Mexico, inshallah, and learn a bit more about that. And I give us guidance and, over the years. And, help I us. Mean, and, and we have a small hotel here, and, and we have some properties in Airbnb. And you're welcome, Aki, if you want to get a taste of Mexico. Nice Mexico, golfing. We live here on a golf course. We can go water skiing. Nice version of it. We'll stay away from the the cages. Inshallah, inshallah, I'll try and try and make it out there. Inshallah. Inshallah. Salam alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to the Young Smirks podcast with me, John Fontaine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and YouTube and all the other outlets. Like and subscribe and leave a comment. And also, please support us on the donation link below so that we can continue to give you quality podcasts. Thank you very much. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh.